Well, good morning. My name is Andrew. Uh, if I haven't met you before, uh, now you know my name and I hope to get to know your name. But um, Thanksgiving is right around the corner, right? And everyone says, man, Thanksgiving same, came so quick. And so maybe you have a tradition at Thanksgiving. Uh, we have some traditions at Thanksgiving that we do as a family. But then one that we've started recently uh, that we don't always do as a family, and that's called a turkey trot. So how many of you have run in a turkey trot? So we have a few, right? So if you don't know what a turkey trot is, that's basically a race before Thanksgiving on that morning so you can exercise, I think so you can eat more later that day. And it's a 5K, and for all those who don't, don't know metric and can't do the conversion, right? Five kilometers is 3.1 miles. And so you get up early on Thanksgiving and you go and you run three miles, and we usually do it in Downingtown. Uh, where there's about 2,000 other people with you, which is pretty awesome. So you go in the stadium, the music is pumping, but, but the only issue is that it's cold, right? Like under 20 degrees cold. And so everyone who's there, they have hats on, gloves on, short sleeve shirts over long sleeve shirts over more long sleeve shirts, right? With shorts and long sleeve or long underwear and just everyone just trying to stay warm, and so you, you get all your gear on and you're ready to go. And then the first group leaves. They're the fast group. That's not the group I'm in. Then the next group leaves. The second fastest group, not in that one either. Third group, fourth group. I'll be about the fifth group, right? So, so I get going. And without a doubt, I'm about seven minutes into my race. And for the last few years, seven minutes into my race, there's someone who comes and passes me. And because it's a loop, right? So they're like running back. And then another person who looks just like that person passes me again. And so as I've come to find out, I've come to actually expect now, like look at my watch, like, okay, they're about to pass me. Uh, their names are Kyle and Owen Dawson. Now, Kyle and Owen, they don't look like everybody else, let me tell you. Because Kyle and Owen don't seem to feel coldness. Because while everyone has hats and gloves on, Kyle and Owen wear shorts that I would never wear in my life because they're too short. Right? Instead of wearing long sleeve shirts, they're wearing a piece of fabric uh, that kind of looks like, um, like an undershirt, right? It's like a very thin piece of jersey. And they're running and running and running. And Kyle and Owen, they take this race seriously. Now, I, th I don't know which one it is, but one of them finishes the race in 14 minutes and 47 seconds, which means that he runs each of his miles in about 4 minutes and 45 seconds, which is incredible. I think that's just a few seconds off of the women's 5K world record, right? So Kyle and Owen, they're serious runners because they don't want anything to hold them back. They're just focused on the goal, right? And I'm there like looking around saying hi to everyone, and I'm not quite as serious about the race. Like I'm just hoping I make it till the end so I can eat Thanksgiving. And so the author of Hebrews, the book we're going to look at today, he's going to talk about a race, and he's going to say we need to be serious about it, kind of like these guys. And so the people he's talking to at this time, they're the people of the, the book is called Hebrews, right? So they're the people who are trying to follow Jesus Maybe in Rome, maybe in Jerusalem, we're not sure. And so this morning, we're going to look at what he has to say in Hebrews chapter 12. So if you have your Bible here, uh, open that up. Great place to take notes, an app, open that up. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. And while you're turning there, the writer is writing to people, and here's the problem. These people are kind of just beat down. 
Okay, so, so they become followers of Jesus at some point, and after they became a follower of Jesus, here's what happened. They started getting persecuted, right? So people would make fun of them. They would get shamed. Uh, some of them were in prison. Some of them were beaten down. Uh, some of them lost their livelihood, and they're kind of just at the end of their rope. And so the guy who's writing this to them, he's saying, hey, listen, life is a race, and here's what you can't do. You can't give up. And he's going to tell them why they shouldn't give up in Hebrews chapter 12. We're just going to focus on the first three verses this morning. Um, so if, if you're new, you can just look up on the screen. And let's read it, and, and I'll read it. You don't have to read it out loud with me, but I'll just read it. So it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Here's what Jesus did. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray that God would speak to us this morning. Father, Thank you for an opportunity to be with your people. And as we listen to your word and we hear from you, I pray that you would open up our hearts. And God, no matter where we're at in our faith journey this morning, I pray that you would help us to see who your son is, Jesus. Help us to fix our eyes on him. Help us to learn to follow you more. We pray all of these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So the Hebrew people, they're running a race, right? That's a, a metaphor for life is running a race. And maybe you've heard that metaphor before. If you read the Bible, you see that pretty often. But it's interesting because the word that the, the writer uses here for race is the word agon. Now, that's where we get our word, right, for agony. So the word race for them is like agony, is a struggle, a fight, that kind of thing. And, and what's the goal of their race? Well, the goal of their race is to follow Jesus, to be strong in their faith until the very end, right? In, in verse 3, he says, don't give up, don't lose heart. That's what he's worried about. And so he tells them why they shouldn't. Now, if life is a race, if that's the metaphor we're going to use for us, then what's our goal? Well, I think it should be to follow after Jesus. But I think often our goal is something different, and especially as Americans, right? We're kind of blessed people. And Tim Keller says what? the goal of most Americans is this. He says that the goal of life is to maximize our happiness and comfort now. So let that sink in for a second, that, that when you're running after things in life, a lot of times our goal is to maximize our happiness and comfort now. And so I think this would be true in general of Americans. And so the day after Thanksgiving is Black Friday, right? And people are going to be shopping on Thanksgiving, after Thanksgiving, all the way up. And so what gifts are on the list? Right? If you look at all the gifts on the Christmas list, what are they there to do? They're there to entertain you. Right? They're there to help you feel more happiness. Right? Or they're somehow going to make your life better or easier and make your life more comfortable. Right? So if we don't believe this is true, all we need to do is look at Christmas Look at what people are shopping for. But here's the problem. If this is your goal, what happens when suffering comes into your life? Because suffering, if this is your goal, suffering destroys your goal. Right? Because all that happiness and comfort that you were going after, 
right? Now that suffering kind of takes that away, it kind of takes the wind out of your sails. And so if you're a follower of Jesus today, I, I don't know, many of you are, but not all of you. But if you're a follower of Jesus today, the goal of our lives isn't to live for happiness and comfort now, right? The goal of our lives is to live for Jesus and to live for his purposes. And you know what? If you're following Jesus, even if you're not following Jesus, suffering is going to come into your life, right? No matter how much money you have, where your family's from, your life situation, suffering's going to come. And so how you're running your race and what you're running for is going is to tell you how you're going to deal with suffering, and so if suffering is going to come to our life and we're following Jesus, then how do we finish well? How do we finish our life's race if suffering is going to be a part of it? Well, that's what I want to talk about this morning. I'm going to say this, and this is my big idea, that finishing the race requires faith. That finishing the race requires faith. Right? If we're going to follow Jesus, then our faith in him is what's going to get us through the hard times in life, what's going to get us through the trials. That's what the author is trying to teach these people, and that's what we need to learn today. And so I believe that the author helps these people understand how their faith is going to be fueled. Right? And there's kind of three different ways in this passage that their faith could be fueled. So we're going to look at those this morning, and here's, here's what we're going to see. In verse 1, he starts off by saying this statement, Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So we're just going to stop right there. So if you've been with us for the last two months, and if you haven't, uh, we're glad you're here. We've been talking about stretched, being stretched in our faith. We've been talking about the chapter right before this one, Hebrews 11. It talks about all these people of amazing faith in the Old Testament. So it doesn't mention everybody, but it talks about a lot of them. And so it kind of goes over this list and it says, by faith... This person did this, this person did this, this person did this. So we have people like Abel and Enoch and Abraham, Jacob, Moses. The list goes on and on and on. And because of their faith, God used them to do something awesome, right? So what the author here is saying, hey, listen, if you're going to have a strong faith, one of the ways that's going to help that is by looking at the people who have come before you. When we think of a, a great cloud of witnesses, right, here's what I don't want you to think, and, and this is easy. So if we're talking about a race, then maybe all of these people are around, like just watching you, cheering you on, like, you can do it, Andrew, you got this. Like, don't give up, man. And they're looking down, and you're like, okay, great. Guess what? That's not the case, right? The great cloud of witnesses is not people who are all around you, but it's people who have come before you. So I'm going to do a little drawing this morning. Just so you know, I'm not an artist. I've never taken an art class. Um, and if, if you're too far away to see it, I just want to let you know, don't feel bad. I don't know if you're missing out on anything. But, but let's just say that life is actually like a race. Okay, so this is the road that we're running on. They didn't have lines in the road, but we do. So, so we're going to talk about looking at things, right? So here's a big eye. And the first thing that we look at to fuel our faith is the example of others who've come before us. So we got, you know, all of these people. So we're supposed to be looking at them to fuel our faith. Now, when we look back at the people in Hebrews 11, we're saying, man, those guys did amazing things, and isn't that great? But here's the problem. Maybe you're saying, I'm not like them. Like, I can't be like them. Andrew, it's great that they did awesome things, but I'm not sure I can do that. 
And you know what I love about the Bible? And if you haven't read it a lot, you might not know this. But here's what I love. I love that the Bible really tells us what happened with people. Right? It doesn't just sugarcoat everything and tell us the good things. It actually tells us the tough things. So let's take Moses. He was an awesome man of faith according to the passage. What's Moses' life like? Well, his parents had to hide him because he was supposed to be killed. He gets kind of adopted by an Egyptian princess. And life is pretty good, and he's kind of being set up for success. And then one day, he sees a Hebrew slave being abused, and he was Hebrew, and he goes and he kills the guy. And he thought everyone was going to think he's a hero, but they said, wow, are you going to treat us that way? And so what does he do? He runs off like a coward for 40 years in the wilderness, just hanging out afraid, taking care of sheep. And then, even when God comes to him, right, even when he says, Moses, I want to use you to do something awesome, what happens? Moses says, ah, I'm probably not the right guy, God. Like, look at me, look at my past. And God keeps telling him, nope, you're the guy. And then God has to kind of give him all these different tools for him to use, right? A miraculous stick that turns into a snake, a hand that, if you know the story, Becomes like white as snow when he takes it out and puts it back in. Kind of like these magic tricks in some ways. And then, he's, and then Moses is like, but great, I have those, but I'm not really good at speaking. And so he says, all right, well, I'll bring another guy. So, so God kind of has to coddle Moses, but then he uses him, right? He kind of has to help him. And then you have Jacob. Jacob was seen as a man of faith. But look at his family. So he had 12 sons, and he loved one of them. We'll call him Joe, right? His name's Joseph, but Joe. And he gave Joe this robe. And this robe was highly decorated, right? They called it the coat of many colors. But think like they had to kill snails and berries and all this different stuff to make this robe, right? Really expensive. And what do his brothers do? They get jealous. And so they take Joe, they sell him to slave traders, and then they take his nice coat, they kill an animal, they spread blood all over it, and then they bring it to their dad and they say, Dad... Joe got killed by an animal. And this isn't in the Bible, right? But here's what I think. I think they probably had a funeral for Joe. Right? And at the funeral, everyone's crying and is really sad. But then you have these 11, 10 other guys, maybe 11 other guys who like know. And maybe they're like shedding a fake tear for their brother and like just really messed up. Right? If you think your family's bad, check out his family. So you just, got, you just got to think, right? They, they would be on the Maury Povich show. I don't know if you would, but they would be on the Maury Povich show. And so you just look back at all these people and you're saying, well, God used them, but they weren't perfect. And so that should give us some inspiration as we follow Jesus as we run the race. But that's not the only thing that should fuel our faith, right? As we continue to look at this passage, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the next part of it said, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Here's the second thing, that our faith is fueled when we look out for what will trip us up. Right, so we're going back to the drawing board. Not literally, but I mean literally. And so if we're thinking about this, we want to look out for stuff, and we're looking out for these hurdles in life. Right, so these things that are going to kind of trip us up, we need to be looking out for them if our faith is going to be fueled. Now, this would probably be the awkward part of the message, but I want, you to, I want you to understand this concept, right? So he says, throw off everything that hinders you. So when these runners were running, right, back in this time, they didn't want anything to hinder them, right? 
They didn't want anything to hinder them. The only thing they wore for their race was their birthday suit. Okay? So don't think about that too much. But this is how the runners would race. So they would get to the starting line and then they would just kind of take off everything and then they would run and they would go because they were serious about the race. They didn't want anything to stop them. And he's saying, hey, listen, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to finish this race well, you need to take off hindrances. So obviously there's some bad things, right, which are kind of obvious that we, we shouldn't have in our lives. But then I think hindrances are sometimes good things, right? Good things that we need to focus on something that's better. So like your job could be a great thing, but if you're obsessed with it or controls your life, stops you from serving other people, serving your family, it's a good thing that becomes a bad thing because it became a controlling thing, right? How about entertainment? Entertainment is good. It can be a good thing, but when it becomes a controlling thing, it's a bad thing. How about football, right? People love football. It's awesome. And guess what? In my life at one point, I had to make a decision that I was going to stop letting what happened on a tiny field somewhere else with men that I'll never meet and never know, right? What they did on a field couldn't control the rest of my day. See, there's things in our lives that may not be bad, but they may be hindering our, our walk with Jesus. And then he says, let us throw off the sin that so in e easily entangles us. He's saying, hey, listen, Sin in your life, it's going to hinder your relationship with Jesus. It's going to stop you from running. It actually might send you in the wrong direction. And, and so we get this, especially if you've been following Jesus. We know we're supposed to repent, right? Turn away from our sin. Go away from that. Right? We kind of get that, like, that's what we need to try to do in our life. That's what he's saying. So I believe something about sin, right, back then, that I just want to dispel a myth for us. At one point, I believed that the sin in my life didn't affect my relationship with Christ. Let me tell you why I thought that, because I still believe this is true, that when Jesus died for my sins, right, he covered over my sins, and when God sees me, he sees Jesus' perfection. So my, so my sin shouldn't hinder my relationship with God, but here's the truth, right? While God does see me as perfect, when I sin, here's what my normal reaction is. Hey, I'm going to go away from God for a second, because you know what? I think he's probably kind of mad at me. And when we mess up, we kind of distance ourselves or it pushes us in a certain direction. And see, I think our sin actually doesn't affect how God sees us, but it affects how we relate to God. And so what's he saying? He's saying if you want to fuel your faith, you need to throw off sin. You need to get rid of it. And so those are, those are both good things, right? Here's my only issue, though. It's really hard to kind of keep being inspired, right? And to try to just throw off this sin in your life. Like if I just ended my message here and I said, listen, hey guys, here's what you should do. Look to the examples of people before and then kind of just throw off sin. And I'll be like, all right, let's have a great day. Here's the problem. You can't do it. Maybe you've been in this situation before. Maybe there's a sin in your life that you're like, man, I really need to get rid of this. I need to stop doing this. And you try and you try and you try and you try and you try. And maybe you get ahead of it for a little while. Right? And maybe you start to change something, but then it ends up going back. See, here's why I think that doesn't work. Because you can't fix yourself. 
because you actually can't fuel your faith. See, the only way that we can fuel our faith right, is by looking to the one who's the, who's the basis of it. That's why this next part of this verse is crucial for our lives. The end of verse 1, we'll read it till verse 3, and it says this, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, how can we make it till the end of what will fuel our faith? See, our faith is fueled by looking to the one who sustains it. See, we're told to fix our eyes on Jesus. And that's where the perseverance comes through. Back to the, back to the race metaphor, right? This idea of fixing our eyes on Jesus is like the blinders that you see on horses in Amish country, right? He's saying, this should be your only gaze. That when you're running, when you're trying to finish, you shouldn't look over here. Right? And you shouldn't be looking over here. You shouldn't look at the crowd. You shouldn't get distracted. You should be looking at Jesus. And here's why. Because of what he's done for us. See, what does it mean that for the joy set before him? Now, I don't know if you know how joy works, but I don't think it works with, hey, I'm going to be really joyous because I suffer. That's not actually what I think it looks like. So let's see what, what Jesus did on the cross. Right, so Jesus comes down to earth. He kind of lives this perfect life. And then one night, he's in the garden of Gethsemane. And this guy, one of his 12 closest guys, comes up and gives him a kiss. And what does Jesus say? He says, you're going to betray me with a kiss? I thought you were one of my boys. I thought we were close. But this guy betrays him to the religious leaders. And then Jesus has to face six trials. And according to Jewish law, three of those trials were illegal, right? Because Jewish law says you can't have a trial at night. And at every single one of the trials, Jesus was beaten and tortured and hurt. So they they would bring Jesus and they would beat him. And and then they would would look at him and they would say, who are you? And, And they eventually said that he was the king. And so what would they do? They put a crown of thorns on his head and blood started to run down. And then they would dress Jesus in this purple robe and then they would give him a staff and then they would take the staff and they would beat him with it. They would blindfold Jesus, right? And they'd say, prophet, prophesy who hit you. Then they would torture him. Right, and then at the end they would gamble to take his clothes, but, but that's not where it stopped, right? It wasn't that Jesus got beat six times. All these people a couple weeks ago or actually a week before this time They were out in the streets. They put down their cloaks for Jesus to ride his donkey through. And they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Worshiping Jesus for his miracles. And then a week later, what are they saying? Crucify him. Kill him. See, after Jesus' six trials, they made him carry his cross down and he could only carry it a few feet. And then they had to get another guy to carry it for him, right? And then they put him on the cross and they nailed his hands down. And see, on the cross, how you die isn't just by hanging there. You die by suffocating. And so people who were on the cross, they'd have to kind of push themselves up on the nails that were driven through them so that they could breathe and they would go up and then they would collapse again and go up and collapse again. That's why after the sixth hour, they would break the shin bones of people because they didn't have time to wait for them to die anymore. 
So that's what Jesus did, right? And, and right before he died, he cries out, God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalms 22, and then he dies. See, it says, for the joy set before him, this is what he did. So let's think about Jesus for a second. He was in heaven. He had everything. He had glory, power, right? But what didn't he have? See, what he didn't have is us. See, Jesus didn't have us. So the joy set before him while he went to the cross, while he, while he faced that shame, is so he could get us, so he could make a way for you and I to be in relationship with God. Right? That was the joy for Jesus. That's why he went through all of the things that he did. And then it says he scorned the shame like he thought it was nothing in comparison to having you and I be with him and be with his father. So that's why the author says, let us fix our eyes upon Jesus. Not just his example, right? But right before that it says, because he's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. That you and I couldn't even get in the race until Jesus did what he did. And so our faith that's going to help us finish is only given to us because he started it. Because he gives it to us. And then what does it say that he's the perfecter of our faith? This is an awesome part. Right? That you and I, that our faith is only sustained by him. That he's going to help us go all the way till the end. And so fixing our eyes on Jesus is saying, I'm going to look to the one who can actually help me. Right? Who can actually get me to the very end. See, what fuels our faith? It's him. You know, we, we talked earlier, right, about how we're trying to get to something. How we're trying to, trying to be comfortable and happy right now. What we're actually looking for when we have that internal desire is to be fulfilled. And only person who can do that is God. And so I want to draw something else for you this morning. So this is, a, this is one way where you could, you could share the gospel with people. But I think this is what we're really looking for, okay? We're kind of looking for back for this perfect world. That's what we all long and desire for. That's the race, that's the goal that we're trying to run for. But here's what happened. Sin entered the world when, pe when people messed up. And here's what the world actually looks like now. Right? Not an Easter egg, but broken. Sort of looks like an Easter egg. But this is the broken world, right? And this is where we all live. But here's the thing. We're all trying to get back to here. We're all trying to get back to here. And here's what we do. You ready? We use things like substances to feel better. Okay, alcohol, drugs, money, right? We, we try to do those things and we get those a little bit and we try to make it back to here, use those. How about this? I know that side was the best version of yourself. Right, to try to get back to this, we try to become better people because we think God will love us somehow if we're better, right? If we're more in shape, Right, maybe if we're more in shape, if we're better off, maybe we'll get to the life that we've always wanted. Maybe if we have more money or we make it better at our careers, maybe if we learn more knowledge, get more degrees, that's how we'll get back. And then here's the last one. Religion. What do I mean when I say religion? I mean trying to do things to earn God's approval. 
right? Every religion in the world besides Christianity says, you should do all of these things, and if you're good enough, then that God or that being or whoever will love you and will accept you and you'll get into heaven or nirvana or wherever. What does Christianity say? Christianity says, you're not supposed to do something. It's been done for you. And so everything we do, right, is out of gratitude for that. And so how do we really get back to here? See, we use substances. We use the best version of ourselves. We use religion. And here's what these lines are. They're squiggly if you can't tell because they're like bungee cords. Why are they like bungee cords? Because you know what? You'll get a little taste of that fulfillment and then you realize it's not enough. You go for more. You go for more. You'll become the best version of yourself and your mind, but there's always time to grow and then you'll feel fulfilled and then you won't and then you'll feel fulfilled and then you won't or you'll be doing a good job following God and you'll be knocking it out of the park for a little while, but then things will go wrong. And it's just kind of back and forth and back and forth and what's the path to here? It's this, it's the cross. It's about fixing our eyes on Jesus because the truth is you can try all of these things and you can be really good at them but nothing gets you here except repenting and turning to Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and, and you're not following Jesus, you haven't surrendered your life to him, I'd say he wants you to be there. That you don't have to become a superhero person, right? Like even though we... We've done all of these things wrong. Jesus died for those. And guess what? When he died, he knew that we were still going to be messy people. And so today is a great day to surrender your life to him. See, this is the only path to get here. You can try to be inspired. You can try to stop sinning. And you know what? Should we try those things? Yes, but here's the truth. You won't be able to do them unless you keep your eyes on Jesus, unless Jesus is your everything. That's the only way that our faith is truly fueled if we keep our eyes on Jesus. Right? It's kind of like this. If, if you want to kill sin, you can try to kill sin. You can, like, try, I'm going I'm to put a lot of effort into stop doing this. I'm going to change this habit. Let me ask you a question. Is it easier to be faithful to your wife because you know you should or your husband? Or because you love them? Is it easier to be because you know you should do it? Or because you love them? And see, what happens with Jesus is that as you love him, he enables you to do these things. As you grow closer to him, he enables you to do these things. Listen, if I was going to tell you what I think you should do today besides look to Jesus, here's what I'd say. Stop trying to kill sin. Stop making that your effort. Stop trying to be inspired. Stop making that effort and start fixing your eyes on Jesus. Start falling in love with Jesus because I guarantee you that as you start to love Jesus more, those things will change. Those things will work themselves out. See, because the faith that we need to finish the race comes from Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate what Jesus has done. I'm going to ask the ushers to come up this morning, and we're going to receive communion. Communion is a symbolic way to celebrate what Jesus has done for us in our lives. And so if you're following Jesus this morning, even if you're not from our church, feel free to participate in communion. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I would say just Hold off and don't take it because it's not going to be something magical, but it's a way to say 
thank you and appreciate and remember what God's done for you. See, and even as you're receiving communion this morning, here's what I want to say. As we're running our race, Jesus went before us. Right? Jesus got into the race so that we could. Jesus gave up all of his pleasures and his comforts so that we can find the ultimate comfort in knowing God as our Father. See, Jesus gave up his glory so that you and I could experience the glory of God. And listen, Jesus gave up his Father for a short while so you and I could have God as our Father. And so as you hold the elements this morning, let's just think about what Jesus has done. Let's thank him for what he's done. So the ushers will be passing out these elements. Hold on to them. And let's just take this time as a moment of reflection to say thank you to Jesus and to fix our eyes on him.